0: Well, it took us like six months to get the power on because there was delay in phase Six months. So after waiting two months, we said, let's just fire up the generator because we're going to start training people. So um, just delays. Oh, there's a delay. Oh, the engineer has to go out there. The diagram. Oh, the diagram was wrong. we got to send them again and retool everything again. And so things like that caused you know, literally a six-month okay. delay. Welcome to Babson Built where we showcase Babson
1: founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the changemakers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. This week on Babson Built, we're talking with Solo Cocoa founders Daniel Dallet and Abel Gonzalez about how they expanded to 10 countries and became a social impact business along the way.
2: Our business is, a we're an agro-industrial production company that is completely vertically integrated. We go mm-hmm. from palm to jar. So when we say palm to jar, we mean from raw material to a branded product. And the people who create these products with us, our employees, are part of our social impact. So this is a social impact business. And what our brands do is a... a Portion of the sales creates social development funding for building houses, for paying surgeries, for paying um, social assistance, social development funds to these people who work for us, who are all impoverished single mothers from the Dominican Republic. So they're not entrepreneurs. They're, they're single moms. Um, and the, the this is an entrepreneurial venture in, in the sense that we started this um, from scratch in order to... Uh, bring a a better option a a better product a product that has empowering properties for the consumers and the productive chain to life so that's that's what we do
1: before you guys even were in in like in the city in new york kind of when did you first start feeling like you might be entrepreneurs like have sort of an entrepreneurial tendency even
2: i mean when i was growing up i put i put all i put the toys that I that I didn't want, uh, that still looked fairly new, in a briefcase, and walked around all around the neighborhood, selling <laughs> selling toys. And by the time I was done, I think I'd made a hundred dollars. This was back in nineteen eighty
1: eight. Wow. So so it's not a when I got home, amount.
2: when I got home, and my my dad saw that I'd made all this money, he said, "Where did all this money come from?" So, well, my, I. Put them in a briefcase and I sold them to all the kids around that neighborhood because <laughs> I wasn't playing with them. And I said I would use this to buy new toys. And he says, and he said to me, "You're gonna be an entrepreneur." <laughs> and that was the first—that was the first story, right? The first business plan I ever saw. He showed it
0: to me. That was 1994, 95, and it was a B2B business, basically kind of like an Amazon before its time—a buying like, hey, consolidator. That was a good idea, but you know, we we're like 14, you know, in, uh, in Dominican Republic, a little hard to get connected to that. Oh man! But in my case, I've always—you guys gotta go after Jeff. Look, yeah, that's gonna be rough. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, looking at businesses, I'd always look at a. Oh, there's a hot dog stand. i wonder how many hot dogs he sells. Look, there's 20 people that just came up in the last five minutes. You know, you know, 20 people every five minutes for three hours a day. Did all the calculations. That must be a good business. And always had a. a a minor thinking of business, but my family's business is healthcare, so I was going to be a doctor until the last second. This guy convinced me that don't don't do that. <laughs> study finance in the states, and that's why
2: I went to school in New York to study finance. How how did you first uh, get the idea for Solo Cocoa? I knew that we wanted to add value locally. Okay, so uh, usually you'd have a, a resource in Latin America that would be exported in its raw form or very very minimal value added to it. And, as, and our idea was, let's make something good that has a Dominican flag behind it, right? Something that, was, that could yeah. be a point of, a point of um, pride and progress. And during a, a family dinner, a mutual uncle that we have um, actually brought up coconut oil as um, having medicinal properties. You know, he'd been reading in his me- medical journals that it was under study even for Alzheimer's prevention. It turns out that coconut, sure. oil, coconut oil is a, a catalytic for oxygen in the brain. And you know Alzheimer's is asphyxiation of the brain. And so it's like legitimate studies behind this, this product. And I think at that point, the light bulb went off in my head. and It's like, coconuts, coconut oil, I think, you know, we could we could do something very nice, organic and fair trade. Of course, it wouldn't be until years after when we were ready to actually launch that this would turn into a social impact project.
1: What was the first kind of big setback that you remember?
2: Well, the issue is, you know, when you've exhausted all your um, friends, families, and immediate networks that you can hit up to buy the product, then how do you sell it, right? And this is a a problem that we face still now. I mean, we've got very fast-growing sales, um, but we're always asking ourselves, how do we scale up this story so that it reaches... You know, critical mass in the different markets where we operate, and so that people can understand the concept of empowerment through products. Right? Um, Why do you buy this Mm -hmm. product instead of that one? Because this one has an impact uh, over its community. Um, And that—that was the first. The first challenge was um, how, where, and how do we sell this? You know, what were like the first things you tried. Right. Convincing
0: the first distributors, you know, because you're new, you're like, hey, all of a sudden, yeah. it's a brand new product, and you have to understand that coconut oil was, you know, a lot of people know about it now. There's still many who don't, but a lot, of, a lot more people know today than they did a few years ago. So it was a very new thing, and organic food and eating healthier. This is this is uh, more commonplace in certain countries than others. So it was still kind of like a learning curve as to, oh, I'm not, I don't understand. So people are going to buy this. What do they use it for? So getting distributors on board, you know, letting them know, showing them, look, in other markets that are leading indicators like Europe and the U.S. of this lifestyle trend of eating healthier, organic and coconut and you know, getting them on board to accept that, oh, this is something worthwhile um, to take a chance on. How did
1: you, like, get buy-in from team members, you know, get people to
0: join in on your idea? Our story, you know, um, especially locally. It really resonated. Some people would look at our product and they didn't believe it was Dominican. Uh, they were like, "Oh, that's, that's really you guys make that here?" I, I, you know, because we were we our goal from the outset was to make a world class quality product in every sense of the word, from the packaging to what's inside it, everything. Um, so, and then letting them look. This is local. Um, it's extremely high quality. It's very good for your consumers, and showing them data on other markets that are you know some markets tend to lag like other ones in terms of the transfer of consumers. And then, and then the story. Look, this is made by single moms, all by hand. This is empowering single mothers in the Dominican Republic. Uh, you know, these are, these are their stories,
2: and this is who you're helping. Who you're and not only you that, help. but you know, it's, it's not only made by people who wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to, to add value, mm-hmm. but it's the, the, the same sales. So it's something important to understand. Fair trade, what that does is a portion of the sales of the products are go into development funds that are managed by a community of artisans. So we don't tell them where this money goes. Yeah. So imagine there's, I think last year we, we must have generated 15000 in social premium. That's what they call it, $15,000. Um, they get together as a group and decide, you know, here's our list of priorities. We need to build so-and-so a house or finish, help her finish her house. Or this person's ch- child needs surgery. Or needs extra insurance or needs ambulatory care um mm-hmm. every year you know a major reason why these kids get held out of school is because they can't buy sneakers or uniforms or textbooks mm-hmm. you know just basic things will hold these kids out of school for years and uh every year any kid that has any uh vinculation to our to our uh operation gets all of these needs Covered, not because we do it, because our consumers do it. Our consumers choose to do that, and that's that's what's powerful about it. you know
1: mm-hmm. What was some of the, the first failures that you that you experienced in your entrepreneurial process?
2: We've experienced branding failures, um, we've experienced production failures, um, all Fa- kinds of things, failures with um- incentives. Mm-hmm. Dealing with local government.
0: I mean, what was like uh, an example of of that? Well, it took us like six months to get the power on because there was delay in paperwork. Six months. So after waiting two months, we said, let's just fire up the generators because we got to start training people. So um, just delays. Oh, there's a delay. Oh, the engineer has to go out there. The diagram, oh, the diagram was wrong. We got to send them again and retool everything again. And so things like that caused you know, literally a six-month delay. We'd be six months ahead of where we are now, whatever that may be for, you know, pro or con, but um, it, it that's something that's... We live in a developing country, and, you know, and I think everywhere you'll find that, uh, some semblance of having to deal with things like this, but there will be a- additional challenges on top of the regular things, you know, because not everything sure. works just, you know, uh, as smoothly as other places. So.
1: I know you said initially you were trying to um, get... Young, young people—you mm-hmm. know, between eighteen, I think you said, and forty-five-ish—but uh, eventually, you, you decided you wanted to um, work with uh, single mothers. How did that transition occur, well, and how did you get those first, uh, you know, employees? Well, that
0: that came—that really came to us, and I like Dan to 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 tell the story because it's—I really, think he knows it better. Well, than
2: I mean, you're you're right. Uh, it came to us when we started interviewing. You know, um, we th- the name of our company is called Clark's Organics, and there's something um, about that name that has inspired us to name to name our company after him. It's uh, Arthur C. Clark. He wrote two thousand one and Space Odyssey, which would be his most famous work, but not his most important work. His most important work, and this is a mathematician. This wasn't an engineer or a space uh, uh, expert or anything in, in this. In this field, but his biggest contribution to humanity was that one afternoon in his home, he had an idea wrote a letter a one page letter to NASA that said, "I have this idea for a geostationary uh, satellite so um, somebody who had no engineering degree and no no experience in physics, just a mathematician yeah. Put some words on a piece of paper. And because he did that, the world has access to cell phones, satellite television, GPS. This is all possible because this man put these words on this piece of paper. And he had no background in this. It's incredible. So what do we say? We took his name in inspiration for our company because we believe that talent has no social or ethnic background. So when we started hiring... We did so without prejudice. We sent instead of saying, go, go to the government agencies and get me who's in line here, to, who's looking for it, who's got some experience, we said no. Go to the barrio, go to the, to the city, and say, you want to work? Do you need to work? Show up. We'll give you five minutes to interview. And who do you think showed up? The most desperate And the most desperate are the people who are caught in this cycle of poverty. And they happen to be single mothers, mostly below the age of 30, Mm. with three or four kids at home. The kids have malnutrition issues. You understand? Yeah. Um, And um, when we started hearing their stories, you know, their stories were something that ended usually as like, all I need is a shot. Nobody will give me a shot and I need to care for my kids. Um, When we heard their stories, we said, this could be, you know, the the completing circle of adding value at the source and empowering the production chain through product branding. And that's what we've done. So we made them integral to our
1: products. What kind of lifestyle does someone in that situation typically, what is their lifestyle typically, you know, pre-Clark's
2: look like? So we have one one lady. Um, she came to us a young single mother, four kids her name's Yocasta. she came from, from abject poverty, you know um, no had made it through high school, no work experience, very little hope. Um, two of her kids have been chronically ill because of simple cold turns to pneumonia because you can't get access to medicine or you live in unsanitary living conditions. You see, Yokasa didn't even have a roof over her head, okay? Mm. She was sleeping on the floor, um, and her kids were sleeping on the floor of, you know, charitable family members or neighbors or whatever. And uh, like her, you know, we've seen how many hundreds of cases. And today, you look at her today, I mean, post-Solococo, post-Clarks, she's supervising 50, 50 artisans. Her kids are back in school... The Fairtrade program has built her a house. Not, not us. The fair, you know the sales of the products. So um, I think it's a good model for anybody who wants to do good in, in in countries in the Americas or countries in, for example, Africa. You know, this is a good uh, working model to have a business that is good, does and does good. What is the process like getting into
1: the fair trade, um, you know, to have that certified fair trade you so we know, have independent. Label.
2: We have independent auditors come in, and uh, so they audit uh, our sales and our disbursements to the community fund, and then they audit the fund disbursement to make sure that everything is... So this is an independent certification. So where they put the, their logo on here, where it says fair trade... Uh, USA or whatever, fair, fair TSA. Um, that means that they've got independent certifiers and auditors that come in and make sure that the social premium is distributed through their control plans.
1: If you could have a you know another go at starting the business out, um, what is something that you would have done differently?
2: Those are. That's a good question. Start sooner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously the start sooner answer is always better once you've had like a, a, even a small taste of success. Like in uh, things that I would have done differently, I think um, I would have at, at an earlier stage tried to understand that we didn't need uh, all the people that we thought that we needed at the beginning. We just needed to focus on uh, the things that have worked. Which is, you know, the good storytelling and impact and product quality. You know, um, I certainly would would be less trusting of some original, original uh, business uh, associates, let's say. Okay. But um, it's all part of the lesson of becoming an, an entrepreneur.
1: You know. Did you Did you have like a falling out with? certain with like some of the business associates or... well i
2: think you know in early in the early stages we may have chosen some commercial outlets that weren't aligned with what we were trying to do um, and that was a learning experience so you, you know we got to make sure that in the rush to sell we're we're going to be we're going to be putting our products in places where they have a they, they're going to resonate with the community that's going to see them
1: Now you guys, you're in, I think, over 100 uh, Whole Foods and um, in other organic stores as well as online. How did you get to that level? What were, like, to sell in, in, especially in the United States and, uh, I think, Europe too?
2: So our products are sold in 10 countries. Um, Whole Foods is something that has us very excited um, because uh, we feel it's a great place. You know, it's uh, very supportive of people like us. Um, people who have a crazy dream about changing the world through commerce without having to reinvent the system here. Um, And uh, Abel has been instrumental in the U.S. He runs the U.S. market. So he's been instrumental in getting, you know, we've done something very traditional in Whole Foods, which is demos. It's very, very taxing, very time-consuming, very expensive. Mm -hmm. But basically, you stand there in the store... And you tell the story as ma- to as many people who are willing to hear it, and guess what, it works. You know, if you've got a, if you got a, you can tell a good story in fifteen seconds, and you got a good product to back it up, it starts to work after a while.
0: So the we first got into Whole Foods here in the region, in the North Atlantic region, um, and in those first few stores, I you know once we had a few other things fall in place, I I. The next day, I bought a plane ticket and moved up here. And then, because it's, you know, uh, for certain markets, you just, you just need to have, it's not the same outsourcing it or hiring someone than having one of the, you know, founders and people most emotionally and financially tied to the project. So I moved up here almost a year ago, in a, in, in a week from now. Um, and we were in about five to six stores. But it was that, just going to the store and saying, hey, you know, my name is Irvin Gonzalez. I'm one of the founders of Solo Coco. Here's a product. You know, we're in your system. Give us a shot. I promise you, you know, I'm going to demo it and show it to your clients and you'll see it moves. I'm not going to make you look bad. I mean, at the end of the day, they're a business. So they want to see that it works for them and it, and it makes sense for them. So um, that's, and, that's, always, that's always a big factor. But then um, the story has also helped open the door because <clears throat> there's something that they support. Um, and then just hitting the brakes and knocking on doors and talking to people and getting more stores and showing them that it, that it has traction that it is moving forward and that that helps.
1: Yeah, I mean it's incredible that you in less than a year have gone from six to hundred. That's that's amazing. Were there any points where you were you were almost ready to quit the business?
2: Of all the things that you have, you need to have to be an entrepreneur. Passion is the most important. Why? Because if you have passion, I don't think you ever you ever really consider giving up. True passion, right? Um, and only somebody who's driven blindly by passion and, and belief in what they're doing is going to make it because it's so difficult. And, you know, and it's something important to understand um, that be, being an entrepreneur is life on hard mode, okay? And... You may get some measure of success at some point in your life, but I don't think you'll ever really believe it because you've had to work so hard at it. And the time goes by so quickly, and you're, you're, especially as things start to grow, your agenda gets so packed that it takes a, a, it sometimes takes, it's a good to take a moment and say, um, let me smell the roses here for five minutes, because in five minutes it's back to the frying pan.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's Babson Built, where we showcase Babson entrepreneurs and founders. If you have a second, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We take feedback seriously here at Babson Built, and it helps other listeners find us. If you know a Babson entrepreneur who should be featured, email us at babsonbuilt at gmail.com.